0: This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting, different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome, board folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time, and we are so happy to have on Core Brain Journal a an interview from a very interesting woman who's been through some very tough times down from sydney australia she's going to tell us about life in the war zone and what it did to her lily violet thank you so much for coming on board looking forward to talking to you
1: thank you so much Charles. thank you
0: all right girls so here's what we're going to do i'm going to introduce you in just a minute before i do that i'm going to say a few words about our sponsors and then we'll go from there. Core Brain Journal is supported by Direct Health Access Laboratory with over 3 million studies. They are experienced, deep leaders with the big picture of measuring the, the important uh, issues of methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper challenges that affect brain function on a neurotransmitter level. It's the new biology. It's available globally. They have this global service with a molecular focus. See more laboratory details at this following thing, website, dhalab.com forward slash core, not labs, dhalab.com forward slash core. Take a look at what they're doing over there. They've got a lot of instructive uh, information on the physiology, uh, neurophysiology of synaptic activity. Then. Core Journal is also supported by the nonprofit Barry Robinson Center teams in Norfolk, Virginia. Down here they say Norfolk. And it's a, they provide beautiful residential care on an evolved family, interpersonal, and they're also global because what happens is they're very TRICARE friendly and a number of their clients are from all over the states and indeed international. They provide a holistic environment that sets children, teens, and families on the path to a more comprehensive healing. Their guests are directly measured for biomedical challenges if they are significant treatment failures. So they set a truly different residential experience. More in a moment. Right now, take a look at them. BarryRobinson.org forward slash Core. That's B-A-R-R-Y Robinson.org forward slash core. Now we get to listen to Lily. I'm so much li- looking forward. She is an interesting woman. We just had a brief chat before we got started. She's the 30-year-old author of the book, Cinnia's Story, C-I-N-N-I-A-S Story, which is based on her own life and her experience in Eastern Europe growing up. She's a professional chef with over 15 years of experience. Now, she's 30 years old. Do the math, folks. That means she started at 15 years old. Most of all, she was a mother of a beautiful baby boy who I've seen on uh, Zoom here while we're doing the interview. Lily was born in this small Eastern European country, but immigrated to Australia in her early 20s. From a very young age, she found herself trapped in, get this, a war zone, living day-to-day in fear for her own life and the lives of her family. Unfortunately, the war not only took away her childhood, but the life of her grandfather as well. Lily has experienced countless life struggles, including surviving two wars, being bullied through high school. I can't imagine what a nice girl like this was bullied in high school and in the workplace. She suffered numerous health issues, and became a victim also of domestic violence. But these tragedies only made her stronger. Lily lives in Sydney right now with her husband and enjoys spending all of her time with her new baby boy. Becoming a mother is one of the greatest gifts in her life and her greatest accomplishment. So let's get into it, Lily. How? Tell us about your origins and really, I don't know quite where to start because there's so much to talk about. We can start with your book. We can start with your childhood. You just say, hey, here's what I think people need to know about from my experience.
1: Whoa. Um, <laughs> well, um, let's start from the beginning. So Okay, that's good. Uh, yeah, I was uh, first child, first born. Uh, my mom and dad were very, very, very loving and caring. Um, And it was a very, very good first five years of my life. Uh, I've got a baby brother. He's two years younger than me. And we had an amazing life just as a normal, regular family, uh, spending all our times with our parents, grandparents, and just enjoying life. And then the war happened. Um, It was a surprise because uh, no one was expecting it. It happened literally overnight. Uh, And then we found ourselves um just in a very tough situation and uh, scared for our lives and um just kind of lost because my parents lost all their money um banks were closed we didn't have anywhere to go like we were just stuck where we were now were um, you in the
0: country lily or were you in a metro i'm not asking the town of course we lily asked me to keep uh, you know keep that whole thing anonymous, but so I'm not asking that kind of question, but just give us a little picture were you on a farm were you in a town what was what was that environment like?
1: It was just a little town, just a little town, maybe twenty thousand thirty thousand people mm-hmm. maybe forty I'm not sure mm-hmm. Um, uh, very little community, everyone knew everyone um <clears throat> even though it was multicultural um everyone lived perfectly fine before the war happened and then just overnight your first door neighbor was your enemy Uh, Or they want us they wanted us to believe that. Um, So it was very hard, but then um, My father managed to get us out of the country. So my mom and my brother and myself and he stayed by himself so uh, we got out of the country um immigrants to our little village um they put us in a little uh, abandoned um child uh, child care center mm-hmm. how, how
0: How old were you at that time Lily uh,
1: I was just under five five oh. years old wow um but it's funny because I remember every single little thing, like I remember all the bus travels, I remember the weather I remember my mom, my dad, my brother, everyone.
0: Oh, sorry. It's tough. It's tough to think about it again. You know, it's kind of like you're going back there and some of this is really hitting you emotionally folks. And so we'll just take a deep breath here and think about it because that was, it was uh, interesting, but it was also very troublesome. It was a serious trial just moving from where you love to live and you were out on the road by yourself with your family. Yeah.
1: I'm so sorry about that. Um, no, that's uh... this is exactly the same thing that was happening when I was writing the book, and um, that's why I wrote it, like in hopes that I will heal from everything. But it's like it doesn't. Now I feel that I'm weaker than I was when I was five years old because back then I was a little trooper. I was like taking care of my brother. I was with my mom. I was trying to be all grown up and very um, strong. But I guess now it's like, oh my God especially because I have my own son, so, like, I can only imagine what my parents were going through.
0: Well, when you're a child, you know, Lily, it's, it's easier to be in denial because you don't fully understand reality. You know, so what happens is you don't know the implications of things. You know, it's just one of those things. You're out there, you're, you're traveling, and you keep thinking, hey, things are going to work out. And one of the things that happens with an interview like this is just talking with a person. You, we can be across the globe, but we're talking about things that are continue to be dormant for you in a certain respect, and they're relevant to why you wrote the book. This is what you said, because you had some experiences that you wanted to journal out of your system so you didn't have to carry them around. So then what happened? Where did you go then?
1: Um, so we stayed in that little town uh, for about three months um, while we were there. Uh, my mom was, uh, actually my mom's uh, mother and her sister were, were with us as well. Uh, so that was kind of like helpful because we were all together. And I also have like two, uh, two cousins and uh, three cousins um, from my aunt. So we were all together. We are all about the same age and it, it just made life a little bit easier um mom and my auntie were working all day long they were working on farms they were picking fruits and vegetables um just to provide bread and milk for mm-hmm. us uh, and our grandmother was taking care of us um but then while we were there in those three or four months um we found out that my grandfather my mom's my mom's father was killed and mm-hmm. um,
0: What, do you have a storm over there?
1: I'm so sorry about it. That's okay. I'm so sorry it, about it. She,
0: you're getting the signal through your phone. You told me that earlier. So then yeah, the I'm phone so was sorry. signaling. You guys have a storm or something? It sounded like the phone was telling you we got a big thunderstorm or something.
1: <laughs> I'm so sorry about it. Um, I'm just going to try and put it all. Okay. Um, so, yeah, then we found out that my grandfather was killed, uh, which was very – Tough for my grandmother, my uh, mom, and my auntie. And few uh, days or weeks after that, um, there was every night at seven thirty. There was a casualty list of people that have died in the war zone. So th- each city had their own list, and it was very, very, very scary and very traumatic. Traumatic because my father was the one that was on in the war zone as well. So he was on the battling field
0: mm-hmm. as.
1: Like, I don't even know how to, but yeah, but yeah, it was battling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that one night, uh, his name just popped up on the um, on the TV together with uh, his cousins, his uncles. Uh, it was there, just my father's name, and we were all watching uh, the news. Back then, 7.30 wasn't the bad time for children. <laughs> we were all up there watching the TV, so it wasn't something that grown up, would practice with us mm-hmm. and then uh, everyone just lost it it was it was horrible
0: well was um, your father killed i didn't quite get that was he killed or or injured or was he he was okay
1: yes he was okay uh we found out that later on but uh that's like his name was on the list because there were so many casualties from the whole uh group so everyone died uh, so they just put my father's name because they couldn't find him. They assumed,
0: yeah. Yeah, they assumed, but yeah. he, he did escape and he managed to survive.
1: Yeah. Um So like, did, uh, I started writing my book in 2012 and this is the part where I was writing the book and at that part where my father was killed, I stopped. I couldn't, um, I, I just couldn't write anymore. It was just very bad. I guess in 2012, I was at a different mindset as well. Like I was, a different place so it was like all over all over the place so Uh, but my mom decided that uh, she will take us back to our lovely country to our lovely city Mm -hmm. and if we die we die but we're gonna be with our father Mm -hmm. and now i think oh my god mom that was a little bit silly but back then that was the only normal response that we could have to the news that my father died like we have to go there we have to find him and we have to bury him and if we die we die that's that's life but at least we're going to be together because that's the whole point of my family we had to always be together mm-hmm. love 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 all the time um mm-hmm. nothing else matters just as long as us are together everything will be fine mm-hmm. So we did came back and my father was waiting for us. There was no electricity, there was no water, there was no any connections that he would be able to know that we were coming yes. on that bus to our city. Um, but he was waiting there like every night for, for a week because he knew that my mom, as soon as she finds out that he was on the casualty list, that she will sit in the bus and come come to him because he just knew that she's crazy like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's good
0: to have a good relationship like that. You know,
1: yeah, he just knew that she just a little bit silly and she doesn't care. She will come back to him. She's tough. Uh, so, um, yeah, it was, it was just amazing. My dad was waiting for us. Uh, we couldn't see him cause there was, like the, it was very, very, very limited light from the, from the bus that we, that we had, but he had a very long beard, he was his hair was huge and all that, but I kept on touching his face to see if he's got his still got his glasses. So that's how I could recognize him. But yeah, and from then on, next four years were just horrible. Like we were still together, we were surviving, we were hungry, we were cold, we were lost, we had to run away, but we were together, and that—that's that, the only thing. You had to happen.
0: run away as a family again from that town and go to another town.
1: Yes, over and over and over again. So, but each time we had a little bit less uh, stuff with us, so it would be like literally few handbags and stuff that we can carry with us. But nothing mattered. Like, if you had money, uh, it didn't matter because you couldn't buy eggs. If you had money, you couldn't buy milk. If you had money, you couldn't buy flour. You couldn't buy. Bread, you couldn't buy anything. So money was worthless.
0: So what did you actually eat? What, how, did, how did you guys survive?
1: Uh, we had uh, some help from the Red Cross uh, and the UNICEF. Uh, and that would be, uh, sometimes they would just uh, fly over the city and just drop the boxes. Um, and then like uh, sometimes it would be, um, the Red Cross would have like a little truck with the big pots at the back of the truck, and then you just line up uh, with a little pot, and then you say, um, okay, you're a family of four, and then they give you four ladles of whatever, stew yeah. or soup they had. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was the same with water. Um, like, okay, so if there's a family of four, we're going to give you four liters of water for the day. Um, and that's it.
0: That's it. But, so did your mother but, then go to work? Was there, was there any work or was there no work?
1: There was no work at all. Uh, everything was closed, all the factories, all... my mom was the accountant, and she was working in a hotel. Um, and my dad was managing uh, a little um, hardware store. Well, it wasn't a little, it was quite big, but like, <laughs> yeah, uh, quite a uh, hardware store. And yeah, when war started, there was no, there was no no work, no help. No money. All the money was lost. Uh, all the money that they had uh, in the banks was uh, cut off, so they couldn't access So your family
0: money. became good at cooking stew.
1: Yes. That and, would
0: be...
1: Uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned that in the book, but there was this little thing, because when we would get a few bags of flour, uh, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned it in the book, but it, like it, to this day, it puts a smile on my face. Um, so we would get flour, but flour was full of worms like mm-hmm. little white worms and every time my mom would open that bag i was like oh my god there are so many of them of them and i would have nightmares of them little world worms coming they were like the
0: maggots tree. they were like they were yeah. maggots they were fly fly larvae
1: so my dad was like uh, honey look there's worms in here what happens to the best apple that falls off the tree Worms. When I eat it, because it's the best, it's the most delicious, it's the sweetest. So it's same with this flour. This flour will give us the most beautiful, freshest bread, and that's all that matters. So forget about (laughs) and think about how delicious. He
0: he didn't tell you the worms were tasty, did he? He told you. So you you sifted the you sifted the worms out through the sifter and threw the worms out, yeah.
1: And I guess that's the worst thing, because then I would see so many of them, and they're all alive. And I was like, "Oh my God!" Just toughen to- you up,
0: girl. This was yes. this was a whole different level of dealing with reality. No question about it.
1: Yes. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was hard. I I'm not gonna lie about it. It was it was hard. It was scary. It was. But it made us who we are now. It, it well, made how long
0: we- did that war go on? Did, was that that particular, how long? Go ahead, I'm sorry. Uh,
1: four and a half years.
0: Four and a half years. So you got back when you were five or so. So when the war ended, you were about nine or ten, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So then at nine or ten, did you start to go back to school? What did you do as a little girl? What was going on with you and we your friends like, as a kid?
1: Oh, sorry. We were going uh, to school to when uh, during the war, uh, even though it was dangerous. So we like uh, actually children that wanted to attend school were going to school, or uh, but it wasn't uh, like necessary. You 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 didn't have to go to school, but because I was a little nerd, I had to go to school, <laughs> and that was so important with my books and everything. So I was going to school um, every day like normal, and uh, when we would get bombarded, uh, we would just run into the basement, the school basement and um just hide and then once it stops we go back and we learn math and
0: okay now let me correct you here i'm going to give you a a little thing because i did this with my wife one time at a dinner table you know so i was telling her because i do all this blogging and all this stuff uh you know she she told the entire group uh, of sophisticated guests uh i'm so proud of my husband he's really a nerd." And I said, no. I said, let's get this corrected. I'm not a nerd. I'm a geek. Okay, so they're different things. Okay, we got to get this separated. So, and everybody had a great laugh over that because it was like, you know, they know me. And and I'm correcting you as my wife corrected me. You know, I can tell by the watch that you're wearing that you're a geek. (laughs) But you're not. A nerd girl, not the way you're handling yourself. You're, you're not a nerd. You're a sophisticated young woman who's trying to put her life together. And and that's a different thing than being a nerd. A nerd doesn't get it. You get it. Okay.
1: Thank you very much. And no offense to nerds. I, yeah, you know, no, I feel
0: the same way. I, I've, you know, I don't, I don't, but I just don't like the word nerd because it's derogatory in a certain sense. And I don't want somebody to call themselves a derogatory thing when they can say something positive. You know, it's sort of like that whole thing gets lumped up. And I'm just uh, against the categorical negative. That's all I was saying. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes. Thank you. So, so then much.
0: let's go ahead and take a, take another step in here. And so then you were going to school. Did your country at that time then ultimately settle down? Did you begin to have a feeling of safety and that you could walk around the streets without danger? How did all that work?
1: Uh, actually that happened the same as the war has happened, so overnight. Overnight, the presidents of our country, (laughs) there was a few of them, um, have um, decided that, okay, it's enough. Enough is enough. Let's sign a deal where everyone gets a little piece of the country and then uh, everyone lives happily ever after.
0: (coughs) Excuse me. Pardon me thank you <laughs> so, so
1: um, overnight it uh, it was um, a piece uh, all over the country so we had to but because uh, our part of the country so the city that I was in um <laughs> sorry that was your boys
0: um, <laughs> talking to you in the background <laughs>
1: Um, so we had to leave our city because that was that was the city that um, other side got okay so you had
0: to leave your house and your belongings because that was in... So then you had to go plant your roots elsewhere where it was reasonable for you to go based on the settlement at the end of the war. Yes. I yes,
1: see. Correct. And we did. Uh, it, and it was a little, little, little um, village with maybe 300 people. Uh, mm-hmm. But all of them were very welcoming and that was that was amazing. Like um, when we, when we got to that little place Everyone came. They were asking how we were, what was happening, because they knew from which city we were. They knew that that was a very a red zone of the war zone, um, and um, it was it was a little bit special. Like it was nice. We were living. Uh, we got a there was a little abandoned school. Uh, it was about four uh, classrooms, and we got my family got one. It was uh, for uh, the sixteen square meters. There was no, uh, there was no glass windows. There was just a, like a, a glad wrap on the windows. Uh, there was no toilet. There was no um, kitchen facilities. There was there was nothing. There was no no water, no nothing. But it was roof over our heads, and we were very grateful. Um, and we stayed in that place uh, for about next six years. Or six years she?
0: with with glad wrap on the windows. Yes, sir. That would be. Yes that would be on the primitive side
1: Uh, yes it was uh, it was hard but we survived that as well
0: (laughs) well where in the heck did you learn how to speak English so well
1: Uh, I actually (laughs) have a little confession so when I was going to school in my country uh, we had to choose between Spanish English and German And me being a little bit different than everyone else, I thought, well, the whole world speaks English. I think I would like to learn Spanish. So when I was going to school, I learned Spanish. But then when I came to Australia, the only things that I could say was, good morning, thank you, and uh, please. (laughs) My English in, in Australia. Then that's literally like working in the kitchens with all different nationalities and everyone, that's why. But first few years, it was good for me because I could use that excuse, oh, I'm so sorry, my English is so bad. I've been living in Australia for two years and then four and then six, and now it's like, uh, I've been living in Australia for 10 years. I think that my English should be just a little bit better than it is, but what <laughs> can you do.
0: <laughs> so then, what was your, when you then, let's we jumped into Australia, how long did you stay in your original country? How old were you when you left it? Was it was twenty years? Is that twenty years old?
1: Uh, yes, but that was a different country because from the from that little village, we, yep. we my family immigrated to another country again. Uh, in in um, search of better education for myself and my brother mm-hmm. because that, that was a very, very, very little village. And through my book, I share a few things that we were doing we were having like cornfields and having the pigs and chickens and everything. But that wasn't the last that my dad wanted for me and my brother because he taught as every parent, Things I think um, that we deserve better and we can do better. And by staying there, because by then they were very comfortable, they were having very good jobs because they're very well educated. So it was easier for us. We had like a little bit better life. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he decided that we have to move. So we moved to another city, and that's where I went to high school. And I lived with them in that city for another five years. And then I left uh, at the age of 20 to Australia.
0: So how did you make the Australian connection from all of that tragedy, heartbreak, you know, saran wrap on the walls? I mean, on the windows. I mean, glad wrap on the windows. How how did how did that transition take place?
1: Um, Well, I don't know if I should say um, unfortunately, but um, Australia happened because um, my at the time husband. Whoa! I have to talk about him now. (laughs) My life <laughs> You
0: don't have to. I mean, I just, you know, you can, you could you don't have to bring him up if you don't want to. So I, of
1: course, I will because I really like, I heal from all that. It's just that part of my life where I'm like, okay, people will definitely think that I'm crazy, but mm-hmm. it's okay. I can't, I can't influence what people think about me. Uh, so, yeah, um, I was a very good, uh, how can I say, a very, very, very good. Uh, Teenager, very good child, very good daughter, very good friend, Um, and some would say a very good wife material.
0: Mm Yeah, yep. Yep.
1: (laughs) And it's like that's how it goes in our country because I started cooking very young. I had my career. I finished school for the fashion designer. I was working as a pastry chef, so I had it all going before I turned twenty. For me and it was very good Uh, so we had loads a lot of friends who are from the same city that immigrated to the country where we were Uh, they were literally friends my my parents friends so they grew up together and my ex-husband came into play as he was a nephew of one of our best friends Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and he was visiting so after the war ended we immigrated to the country but they immigrated to Australia because they were from the mixed marriage so Mm -hmm. that's only, um, that's the only way that, um, that other countries like America, Canada, Australia, and Europe would take refugees was just yeah. if it's marriage because yeah. it's yeah. too in to stay in the country. Um, so he was, um, he was supposed to be visiting, uh, for a holiday, coming for a holiday for a summer holiday, and they were like, oh, okay, we think that we should give him your phone number because then, um, you can talk to each other, and when he comes, you can show him the city because you know everything and you know what's good and what's not. Because uh, our friends had a very very young children, so they wouldn't—they're not the same age, and we were the same age. He was actually just ten days older than me. Um, so my mom gave my phone number <laughs> to my ex-husband's son, mm-hmm. and then he called me. He called me. We we're talking, and back then it was very uh different for me to to hear someone who speaks the same dialect oh yes and um, it was like oh my god like that's that's where i'm from we speak the same even though it's the same language to the, in the country where I, where I was living it's different dialect so they would always bully you while you're speaking like that or oh look you came to our country you're looking so well you're so smart you have amazing grades like how dare you to have those nice things now because you are just a little immigrant. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. And
1: you should, you know, be dirty and have uh, worn out clothes and not smell nice and all those things, like all children do, I guess, even today. Um, And then just we started talking. He was writing me letters. He was writing me poems. And back in 2006 and 2007, that was something that was, wow, oh my God, <laughs> this is amazing, like no one does this, and I never cared about boys, I was like, oh, just school, school, school. I so have
0: you to- never had an experience of anybody really paying attention to you, because you were always on the run, or mixed up with where you were, and you, you never really had an ongoing friendly relationship, it sounds like, is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was always like school, 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 work, my brother, homeworks, uh, at that time, my parents had their own little business. So, like, you know, I was running the lunches to their work. So they always have something homemade and stuff like that. So it was always like business as usual, no boys, boys after 25, and then I'll worry yeah. about that. Yeah. So being very nice and genuine and writing me poems. It was like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And then um, he sent me a few pictures. um, I was waiting oh my god I I remember like every single day for about a month I was like just running every morning to letterbox to see if I got his pictures so I can see him because I didn't know the way that he looks. Even though uh, we used to go to school together during the war like Mm -hmm. which was it was like a little fairy tale Um, (laughs) with a very very (laughs) not happy ending. but, yes, and then uh, I fell in love. He fell in love. It was all
0: um amazing. It worked out for a while. You, had, it, was, it was working out for a while, and you had a, a, a somewhat better transition because then you could figure out a little bit more about where you were going to go and what you're going to do.
1: Yes. Uh, and he also said that, oh, he will, uh, you know, move to, uh, to where I was and, mm-hmm. you know, gonna live happily ever after and... Uh, all that nice things that um, boys say when they yeah. love. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he came. We got engaged. Um, it was amazing. And then before I knew it, uh, I was applying for visa for Australia, and I was like, well, "How is this happening? Why am I going to Australia? I can't even speak uh, English. Like mm-hmm. I'm lost. I have everything here." And he was like, "Well, Sanya."
0: That's okay. I didn't hear it. <laughs> we didn't get your last name, girl. That was Lil- you just said Lily. <laughs> Don't worry, it wasn't your full name. You're okay. Um <laughs> get back in the moment. <laughs>
1: Sorry. Um yes, um
0: and then yeah, he worked yeah. it out, but so let me let me interrupt you for a second because this is an interesting story, but I also want to I'm I'm thinking about our listeners and I'm thinking about your message here. I mean, we're living with you as you're going through a lot of change here. But the next level that we got to get into, and we're going to do this, we're going to take a little break here. We're going to get back and I'll tell you what, what I want you to please share with us because it's easy to grasp how mixed up and difficult it was for you. With boys, as a young woman, you're obviously attractive. You've got a lot of things going for you. You're smart. You have a whole lot of things going for you. And yet, Even with everything you've been through, you still have another phase to your story right now that I'm looking forward to hearing in just a minute. And what we're going to do is ask you the question, how did the transition from where you were to this next person who you are now inspire you to write the book and what is your book really essentially about? So I'm going to take a brief break here. We're going to have a little pause and we're going to come back, folks, in just a moment And we're going to hear from Lily why she wrote the book and what that transition actually proved to her in her growing up years. We'll be back in just a moment. Well, folks, you know as well as I do that psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medication trials and those very, very brief hospitalizations, may prove insufficient to deal at home with the complexity of troubled children and and those adolescents from 6 to 17 years old. Improved care, those next mandatory steps, should include a more comprehensive approach to address those multiple levels of challenges, from family to peers to school, diagnostically from defiance to depression, on every level for families, including military families, internationally. The Barry Robinson Center's 32-acre open college-like campus in Norfolk, Virginia, provides safety and security and clean, comfortable living, how do we know we refer folks over there all the time, strongly endorse what they're doing? So, for further information and informed interview, connect at this page, barryrobinson.org forward slash CORE. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's D H A. L A B dot com forward slash core. Okay, here we are back again, folks. And Lily, I'm going to ask you because we just were down to a very limited amount of time. I've enjoyed your story and I really identify with the troubles that you've been through, you know, language in different countries and different schools. I mean, you know, we think it's difficult if we have a couple moves over here in our country, and you've now documented probably six or eight different moves. Before you're even 20 years old, with different languages and different cultures, and somebody taking your house from when you were a kid, you know, this was not an easy transition. So let's take a moment to try to wrap ourselves around this next phase, not so much with the story, but your mission, what you want us to get from the book, what's your message in the book. And what is the point with that in terms of uh, what you've learned about yourself in this next phase? So take it it away from there, if you will.
1: So (laughs) what I've learned um, about myself uh, was actually uh, everything that I've learned in the last four years. So after seven years of marriage, after um, uh, domestic abuse, violence, um, after health issues that I faced, which everyone can read in my book, so I'm not gonna start talking and <laughs> about it now. Yeah. And um, a little bit, it's a little bit hard and heavy topic, but it's written the way that I speak, so very, mm-hmm. well, very simple, with all my heart and soul on those pages. So even though when you're reading it, it's like, wow, this is too much to take. Or, this is too graphic. Uh, this is hard. Just remember that today. Uh, I'm holding my son in my arms. I'm living with the most amazing man that I would that I could ever dream and hope for, and I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I'm happy. I'm safe. I'm blessed. I'm grateful, and that's all down to me realizing that I was a victim, that I haven't healed from the war, that all that was hard, because for about twenty five, twenty seven years I was. Walking, walking around in a complete denial. Everything is fine. Everything is perfect. Show must go on. I'm strong. Let's move on. Everything that's happening, okay, that's fine. Let's move on. How, Stop right how, there
0: because that's a very important point. That's something we emphasize here at Core Brain Journal in a lot of instances. So what you're saying, and the reason I was happy to hear it, and I know our listeners were happy to hear look, this is the pain she was in. These were the diversities of pain she was in. But you said something very important here after we had a little break, and that is, guys, I was in denial about what actually happened to me. I remained in denial to heal, and to not heal, but to actually manage the pain that I was in. And what you're about to tell us right now is the grand light bulb went off. I realized that I was suffering, and I realized I had to take a different level of care of myself. I had to think about my life in a different way. That's got to be what you're going to tell us about your book.
1: Yes, exactly. Because um, if everyone around me can believe in myself and everyone around me can tell me don't give up and um, you're strong, look at you, you're always smiling, you're so positive, you have this strength about you. But I had to hit the rock bottom and realize that I wasn't strong. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. I was just pretending that I was, strong. I was pretending because that was easier than realizing hey, uh, actually, nothing is good about this. Like, yes, I'm living every day. Yes, I'm successful. Yes, I try to save my marriage, even though I know and he knows that it's going to fail. And I tell him on numerous occasions. Um, I will have to leave because I can't live this life. I'm giving each, every day I'm giving you a new chance and I'm giving new chance to myself to, to try to save this because marriage is sacred and it's so important and that's how I was raised. But once I realized that, oh, it's either me and my life or this pretend happy fairy tale that's, like not true and i can't be living it for other people and what what will other people say i have to live my life for myself
0: so you you had to go past yeah go past the dream that you were trying to in fact manufacture in a certain respect not that you were lying but the denial does that it cuts out pieces of reality so you don't have to experience the pain and then you can live in a certain segment of reality that's created in your imagination and then you don't actually have to as- accept responsibility for what's really going on. You can actually avoid it.
1: Exactly. Exactly right. Um, so I decided to go up and face my demons and realize that because my biggest fear is failure. It was failure in life. Oh, my God, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail as a chef if I um, stop working in head restaurants and like, cause I wasn't part of it. Had a restaurant where my passion. I wanted to be the best female chef in Australia. But there's drugs that go with it. There's bullying. There's uh, sexism. There's everything about it because they see you as a, who you are. Okay, she's beautiful. She's uh, very good looking. She's bubbly. She smiles. Her eyes sparkle, and they see you, you know, as a princess. They don't mm-hmm. see you as a good, hard-working chef that pulls eighteen hours a day, mm-hmm. twenty, like three hundred sixty-five days a year. Like they don't see you as that. And same as um, being a wife. Oh my God, I'm gonna fail. I'm not gonna be a perfect wife that I was supposed to be. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna fail my parents. I'm gonna fail my family. I'm gonna fail him. Like what's gonna happen to him if I leave him? He's lost this and that. So I decided to take care of myself to face reality. I'm, I'm a victim of abuse. Uh, I'm not gonna live any longer if I stay in this relationship. Uh, I have to quit headed restaurants because this is not what I believe in. I don't believe in drugs. I don't believe in uh, a, a little circles. And just because you know, good uh, some people, very important people, then you get all these positions and stuff. I believe in hard work. I believe in self-care. I believe in myself and I knew that I'll be okay. I just have to remove myself out of that toxin situation. Mm -hmm. It was hard, it wasn't it wasn't easy, it was hard. But by that time I was already numb. I was numb to pain. I was numb to what other people will say because I don't live my life for for other people. I live my life for myself. And other people's opinion will not be good enough if I'm that. So it's not it, I, I just had to
0: stop it. So, Well, you're very articulate. What you just said is you came to an important part point of self-discovery, and you want to share that important self-analysis in a way. We're not talking psychoanalysis. You're coming to grips with your reality of the pain in your life and how you had to responsibly, in a way, know yourself in terms of what you wanted to do, instead of what was being determined by everybody else in the scene, including your ex-husband. There were a lot of people that were moving you along in a certain way, including the restaurant people, apparently. And then what happens, you just had to say, look, I got to take a bath. I'm going to step in the shower. I'm going to clean this thing up, and I'm going down the road, and that is what I'm going to do. So, I mean, in summary, we do have to wind up with our time, but in summary, it sounds like that is – the part of your book, it's, it's a nonfiction book, but it has certain themes that sound like really heroic themes as, uh, Joseph Campbell would say, you know, basically what happens is you had, you're a good girl. You had a lot of unusual difficulties for the times that we're in because of the places you were living. So much pain that you don't even want to talk about those places in terms of them being significant, you know, they're they're dangerous for you. So you you're, you're still have that pain that you're working through, but you've decided, I'm going to do this myself and I got to pick up my socks, roll on down the road and make it happen. And I applaud you for writing the book because it sounds like it's a book of self-discovery and it's a book of encouragement for other individuals who are struggling with the same kind of, look, you're saying, hey, if I can do this, Wherever you are, take heart. You can do it too. And here's how I did it. Maybe you can learn from my story that it's time for you to tough up, accept the reality as it is, and find yourself and make some changes that will be self-protective and in a recovery mode for you for the rest of your life. You only have one life. You don't get two.
1: That's exactly and if, right.
0: And if you're stuck in one life that's not going anywhere, you are stuck. And there's the only way to get unstuck. And somebody's not going to do it for you. There was a, you know, there used to be a, a DJ down in St. Louis, Missouri. We were kids. and His name was Pano. He said, go for yourself, Jim Dandy. Nobody going to do it for you
1: exactly exactly Mike. Right. you just have to be- believe in yourself you have to believe in yourself and that's why i brought this book i brought i told that i healed but oh my goodness i have to start writing another book because my now husband says that uh of you missed so many things you haven't touched so many so many topics everything that you told me but then when i was writing this Book. Uh, It was my God. I just want to finish this part. I just want to get it out. Get it out. Okay. Oh my God. I'm still stuck here because it's like reliving, reliving, reliving everything. And it's like it was a little bit rushed. But the the point is, please, please believe in yourself because you can do it. It's not at all. Look at me. I've done it. You can do it. You have to do it for yourself. If you find yourself that you are stuck at work, job that you don't like, I've never, when I found myself at a restaurant that I didn't enjoy and I wasn't learning something new every day, I just said, Thank you so much for experience and opportunity, but I can't do this to myself. I love cooking. It's my passion. It's my life. At the time, it was the only positive thing in my life. So I have to get up after two hours of sleep in the morning, go to work and smash those 18 hours, serve delicious food and make my customers happy. So I have to do something for myself. So same for your listeners. Please, you have to believe in yourself and you can't give up on yourself. But in saying that, you have to hit rock bottom. You have to realize...
0: You have to come to grips with your pain. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's not going to change if you don't, if don't, you have to, it took me, I never turned to drugs. I turned to alcohol a little bit, but it was, it was I <laughs> well, was you're in the restaurant alcohol, industry. Like, you know, I mean,
0: yeah. Hey, you're in the restaurant. In, industry. It's just one of the things of being in that industry. But listen, here's the thing. You are such an energetic, entertaining person. I see you down the road. I think you're going to be in the food network. You're going to be doing the whole thing, and you're going to then – and you'll have this great – I love your pseudonym. It's fantastic, you know, Lily Violet. We were talking about that in a moment. So let's tell people where they can connect with you so they can get a hold of your book and go further down the road with you and, and listen to the success that you've become and how you did it.
1: Well, you can contact me uh, on my to my website. It's www.lilyviolet2017.com. Um, you can contact me through Facebook, senior story, uh, and Twitter. But uh, please do not hesitate to send me any messages, any questions that you have, um, anything. If I can help, this is the this is the thing that I want to say. If I can help one person, one person to heal or one person to get out of a very bad situation that they find themselves in, that's it. My mission is done because I try to do a selfless act of kindness each and every day for people that I don't know. And that's what serves me because I try to spread love, be be love, share love, and just be there for others. And some might see that as like, Oh my God, that's crazy. It's time consuming. It's energy consuming. But you can get your positive energy out of everything. You can get it out of plants. You can get it out of walking, out of ocean, out of everything. People that you love, love gives you energy. So just share the love. I'm here for you. And if you have any questions regarding anything, just please don't hesitate to send me or even my email, uh, Lilyviolet 2017 at gmail.com an email say hello lily any help any questions anything i'm here to help you because i'm on this journey with you together
0: you are very sweet you're very kind you're a great girl you're going places you're just a young person but you have some very interesting older woman wisdom things going on you know others have told you this before i know because it's just how you come across so thank you so much for joining us in core brain journal we wish you the best and hope that your book is a big success and that you have your own restaurant and your own restaurant chain and your own TV show, girl. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you so much. Thank so, you so much, uh, Dr. Charles, and thank you to all of your listeners. And have a wonderful day and love and be loved.
0: Thank you so much. You have a great day, girl. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Cobrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.